team, right? We're on season two, episode eight. And as they say, once it's nice, we do it twice. So once again, we bring back our resident expert, if you can call him as much, Mr. Bertrand Moses, because tonight, once again, we'll be dealing with male mental health, right? As we agreed when last we spoke about mental health, we said our culture doesn't always leave space for men to openly express their inner struggles. However, we at Logens are trying to change that. For those living with mental health problems, talking about it with anyone, let alone a mental health professional, may seem scary and a bit difficult, even intimidating. For men in particular, who've been told all their lives to man up, be strong, accessing mental health resources can also seem to go against those cultural expectations. But over the past years, there's been great activism and interest around the subject of male mental health. Partly thanks to those in the media spotlight who have been vocal about their own experiences. Tonight, we examine different coping mechanisms for some of life's most challenging experiences. Again, I'd like to officially welcome our psychotherapist, Mr. Bertrand Moses, who's here to offer some expert advice on how we can treat with these situations. So welcome, Bertrand. Thanks, brethren. It's really a pleasure to be here with the men of the Los Jets. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were having a little discussion earlier today. And we, 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 it, it felt to me as though because we know we were doing mental health tonight, everybody was kind of dumb, boy. It had a kind of heaviness. I don't know, I don't know, but um, seeing you here and knowing we have an opportunity to vent and express ourselves and get it off our chest, um, I feel better already, I can tell you that. That's great, man, that's great. <laughs> All right, well, we have the full team here with us. Um, tonight we have Keon, we have Beach, we have Vaughn, we have Kovel, and joining us we'll have a few of the other members in between. So the first topic we want to look at tonight is loneliness, right? We want to look at some scenarios of loneliness, whether it be by the death of a loved one, a breakup, infidelity, um, could be custody issues um, between the father and mother. This is something we deal with a lot in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, court, the court's favor in the maternal custody, right? And fathers getting little to no access to their child or children. So I don't know. If anybody want to start the ball rolling? When, when you're invested in, in uh, something, anything, but more so now a child, um, it's hard that you have somebody that's using the child to man manipulate you. So, right, as a weapon, right. Yeah, you know. So it's, it's very taxing on the brain. And then the, the perception, as Chef mentioned, where um, the courts favor the mothers, which I was told this week, actually, depending on the situation, is not necessarily true. Um, well, it's it, a myth. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, depending on the situation. But there's a whole other conversation. There's another separate job we could have. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? Um, but as a man having to deal with something like that, it, it could send you crazy. And sometimes you hear any news, you know, a man trip off and... Um, mother dead, child dead, man kill himself. These are the kind of things that that can lead to. Because you're doing your best, you're working, must be 16 hours a day, you know, you're providing, and then at the end of the day, she, meaning the mother, does not want probably to let you go, or she doesn't want the peace. Um, I mean, you have people to talk to. Like, if in, in my situation, if I, if, if I had to deal with something like that, I want, I'm the kind of person that would look for somebody to talk to, somebody that understands or probably find a bedroom who went through that situation, ask him how he deal with it and, you know, work with it from there. Um, others might try to go by the bar, take a drink, you know, and, and, and but I mean, as we, we, we discovered with Vaughn in the previous discussion about mental health, that drinking thing can lead to a, a, a situation where you find yourself consumed so much by the alcohol, which is not healthy. So yeah, as I said, for me is to talk about it um, as much as possible because you really don't want to hurt the mother of your child in any way. Um, we we are a society that is a violent one, not me personally, 
but you know um we are a society that's a violent one and these kind of things can lead to violence so um i can see myself lashing out um i think in this group here we are a group that tend to i mean we are gents you know we really try to epitomize what and you know what we stand for but just the thought <laughs> if, if i were in this scenario go ahead and it, I'm here. when you're still lashing out what do you mean it might sound wrong. I feel the I feel the cough up pillow. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> that's all right, frustrating. Not to go into much, I give too much details. Um, I would have been in a similar situation. Yeah. So I will be speaking from experience. Um, where this topic is concerned, in terms of loneliness, where you are no longer you 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 no longer have that interaction with. A loved one in, in this instance it being your child um, as a result of a relationship going bad or a relationship going sour. Um, loneliness is is a pain that is inexplainable in this instance. It's a it, it, it's a feeling that there aren't enough words to totally describe the pain that you feel when that loved one is no longer present in this instance um the loved one is not deceased but they are still alive but after having the opportunity to spend so many years interacting bonding sharing um treasured moments with, with, with your child and that being taken away from you um is something that you don't have control of and you tend to feel as though you're, you're, you're not in control, you no longer have a say. Um, it's as though your feelings become invalid. And that is a painful thing for, for any man to go through. What right. I would have done in, in, in my instance is I would have leaned on, would have leaned on, on my faith. Um, I would have also leaned towards the friendships that I have. I, I, I consider the persons who I keep close um, as my foundation for strength to to make it through, to, to not be consumed or overwhelmed too much by this situation. Um, you lean on the bottle, heavy. On the bottle? Yeah. A little, a little. Not too much. <laughs> a, a, a little. That's everything in moderation. <laughs> but Aaron, what, what, is, what is notable here is that, yes, you will experience some type of loneliness because of the absence of the loved one. But when it's compounded by perceived vindictiveness. Yeah, it was. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, when it's compounded by perceived vindictiveness, as you state, it, it, Honestly speaking, inside you feel angry. It enrages right? you. Right? It, it, enra it, does. It, it enrages you. And you really have to have a certain measure of control to keep, as they say, your wits about yourself and to not find yourself in a situation where you are now caught um, in an unfavorable pl place with the law, that you don't do anything to bring shame uh, <laughs> or... or, or or distribute against your, your, your good name and your family reputation, etc. Yeah, but Aaron, Aaron, <clears throat> right? Um, picture this, right? Mm -hmm. You had a real hard week, right? And Saturday is the only day, right? That you get to see a child, right? And Friday night, she called and she said, You ain't going to see him tomorrow, no? you ain't going to see her tomorrow, yeah? Well, it's Father's Day, it's Father's Day weekend, yeah. I, I, I oh, you make it worse. <laughs> and then you say your car see him, and then when you, you go out the road now, you're chilling and you see him passing the next man car. <laughs> so, yeah. so all that all that having wits and all of that at that point in time, you still had them wits? No, and you still had that control? And that's what I say it it, it, it is always some nice and and, and 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 we here on Sip and Chat, we try to bring it real, right? Yeah, yeah, to keep Somebody it real. That we 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 we, we try to do as much as best as possible we try to keep it real so all the nice things where it is you say that it, 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 you're feeling as though um yeah you have control and you're in charge sometimes it it, it doesn't appear to be like that because you're deep, deep down inside you want to turn like hulk and mash up everything 
Um, so, so that is a result so, uh, of um, this and that feeling of of rejection, that feeling of lack of inclusion. It, it is a is a feeling that, as I say, words can really describe that the pain that you feel with us. Exactly, because Ian said it in an apt way earlier. He said, "Dice thing to send you crazy." And when he said that, it made me say that, yo, we're talking about mental health. And the first thing people just draw or, 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 or correlate with mental health is craziness when it's not necessarily so. So because of that statement and because of how we talking about this topic, I want to bring in Bertrand now to tell us what is the therapeutic way to handle this or what is what is a, a coping skill that one could employ in handling a situation like this? Yeah, I think honestly, a lot of it is about doing what comes naturally. That's one of the first things that I say. Um, because for everyone, it's so different. One of the things that I always say to people is do more of what works in the past. Sometimes we look for brand new things to try, but there are little things that we do that give us just our five minutes or 10 minutes of feeling some peace. So for anyone who's sitting down and listening now to this conversation is about doing more of what works already. But there are some other things that people encourage that scientifically work well. Um, I saw this really good, I was reading this journal and they were saying that loneliness is very common in men after a certain age. Anybody can tell what age you think that is? What age you think? <laughs> loneliness is real common around that age. Because I feel like, I feel I like we were sitting there. 40? 25. <laughs> 25. I feel like in mid-30s. Yeah. And the thing is, it's around 40. That's it. Age. Yeah, so all of you, you know, I'm not 40 yet, but all of you just, you know, we get closer there, you know. But the thing is, it's like um, that age group in, in this, the research says that around that age, it tends to kick in the most because there's a lot of stuff happening, right? Like the emptiness syndrome, you know, your, your spouse may have left, your spouse may have died, those kind of things, you know. And so at that point, it's really a reflection time. So the things that work, the first thing I would recommend, I saw a really good article about something else happening in the UK where they decided, you know what, let's just bring some men together and they could play football. The men, as long as they play football together, a little fiber side, that works well. And we have that in the Caribbean, we have the weather. So the first thing is to go outside, you know, just be outside, play some football, play a sport. That takes away from the feeling of, of feeling like, you know what, I'm all by myself and I could do better. Another thing, of course, is um, focusing on quality relationships, developing relationships that last really long, relationships that you've built over the years. Telling people, you know what, I want to come to you for you to be an accountability partner. Because when I feel this way, I feel I need someone to talk to. So when that person sees that number corner, or when you tell them you want to go, just go down the road and just chill for a bit, that is something that you could always rely on. Um, another thing, of course, is understanding that loneliness is natural. Um, it comes at times, it goes at times. It's not something that you have to beat yourself up for. Uh, another thing that really is big for me that I really believe in is volunteering. Volunteering makes the world of a difference because the research shows that when you take your mind off of yourself and you look out for others, especially at a time like this, under quarantine measures. So real people feeling loneliness. A lot of men would be feeling loneliness at this time. But if you were to say, you know what, there's a child on the road who probably just needs somebody to help with reading. You may not be able to go because of the quarantine or you might be able to go. But if you pick up your phone and you do a little virtual Zoom thing now, like what happening here in the place when you lose Jen's team, if you just try to do that, just do a little Zoom call with a child, you know, and just talk to them or help them out. You know, volunteering your time, going out and helping the poor and even the people who are suffering at this time, that really helps to take your mind off of your situation. And then there's a social release where it's like, my life not that bad, you know? And those are some things that I think really, really help in terms of making sure that people get better. But one thing I would say a lot of it with loneliness is the outlook. Really just thinking to yourself that it's going to get better. Because sometimes with loneliness, we kind of catastrophic thinking, like things just real bad. And if I go and approach this person to talk to them, they might reject me. You know what I mean? It's in the head. Or I can't reach out to any people don't care about me. And I deserve this or I did something wrong. If we think like that, it often kind of makes that feeling grow even more. So the, the last right. thing I would say with loneliness is just having a really positive outlook that if you approach somebody, things will get better. Yeah. Like you mentioned uh, Bertrand, that stand out. Mm -hmm. um, one, keep yourself busy, keep yourself mm -hmm. active. And the second one, which is kind of um, ironic, is that you mentioned the fact that people during COVID time now would be lonely. And there are actually people who are quite the opposite. They want to get out of the house because they're fed up by their wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, that, my, my point with saying that is that, you know, um, gentlemen who are married, who have um, people that they live with, appreciate what you have because there are people out here who don't have that. Appreciate it. Yeah. The grass Aaron? always 
And I yeah, think that's important it. to definitely hear Ambon. I think it's important to know though that that the loneliness doesn't only come from from an issue where the the child is no longer there with the parent loneliness would, would, can exist in, in many other forms. As you say that, Kevin, you was in a relationship. The girl leave um, you, you by yourself and you're coping with it, right? So then yeah. my question is, as a friend looking into your brethren who going through that, right? Of course, sometimes a, a boy pride wouldn't let him reach out to you, like how Bertrand said to reach out to people and talk, talk. But sometimes because of his pride now, he's afraid and you, know, you laugh at him or whatnot. As a friend, what do you think we should do to reach out to him to let him know, hey, everything okay. Because you're reaching out to him, but hey, let go and take a sweat. I ain't want to sweat, boy. My mind on you know what you will do. What are some ways or methods you will employ? Responsibility to ensure that we don't ridicule, but it's our culture to uh, yeah. like a real black. Just make everything you understand? And I think that's and what it's And now it's not the time for that. You can't be provoking and, and, and catching kicks on the man. So be sure you'll handle that. But in terms of like how you will reach out to a friend who you you think is a media, you actually see him go through it and his pride would not allow him to reach out to you for help, but you want to offer your help. What will you do? The easiest thing to do is to probably call him and not to get him to speak about it directly. But yeah. probably invite him, let him sit down, let's take some drinks and eventually let him express himself because the best way for him to get it out might not be the conventional way hey what's the problem or what's going on you like know you're forcing him to talk about it yeah not mm-hmm. forcing to talk about it but get him in a position where he's comfortable enough that it actually comes out now you know we or even if for instance we just sit down we drink or we sit down we have something to eat and you know, it gets him in a position where he's comfortable to be himself. Even if he doesn't express himself, at least he's comfortable in a way that he doesn't feel as if he's intimidated. So, you know, he gets right. a release by, not, by just being out. Because okay. sometimes you won't hear, you won't get it out of him, but of, of what he's currently going through. So at least for that, or two hours, he's actually in a position where he is free in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what Bertrand would have been talking about. Yeah, that's my approach as well. I, I tend to do, use that roundabout method. I actually got that from a good friend of mine. He was giving us a story about his mom's funeral. Him and his mom were really, really tight. So in the middle of the funeral, you know, casket rolling out, he's in inconsolable tears sobbing grief and he's at the door and well they put the casket in the coffin now and you know people coming up to him he said he that he didn't even know who was who you know everybody you know my condolences sorry you know he, you know did that so he was, he said it was like just yeah but just this one guy this one guy a good friend of his who came and spoke about something totally off topic. Like, let's say the TKR match today or yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Say, boy, waiting for that victory yesterday, boy. Yeah. And he's like a true fan of He said he went from crying to laughing. You know? And he right. said he stood there, casket gone. <laughs> and he stayed there with him talking about cricket. You know? He said it was just that 20 minutes or however long getting his mind off it. He said that was all he needed at that point in time. And then he was able to come back and talk about, you know, well, boy, I would love to keep this going, but you know what today is, so let me go and do what I to do. And then he went off to the cemetery, but he swears that that was the key moment for him. He said that was a life-saving move there. So mm-hmm. I like that approach. I mean, I, I don't know what the experts would say, but that's usually my approach. You take the mind off of it for a little bit, and eventually they will come to... express what they need to express and that's excellent i agree with that you know and and as you were speaking there it just reminded me of one of the ways that i see men coping with loneliness in a natural trim bagel way is going to the barbershop 
You all know when we go to the barbershop, there's be real men there who don't even want a haircut. Barbershop is our therapy, though. It's natural therapy. But I have seen over the years so many men, you all know it, who will come to the barbershop and they're just sitting down there, they don't want a haircut. But it's just the vibes, just the conversation, the little yeah. argument. They come in, down, and then they leave, you know, riled up. And sometimes even those are natural communities. Sometimes they take a and they remain there whole day in the barbershop, just talking. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, men, we have our natural communities now. We can look out for that because women have the nail salon and the spa and the hairdresser. And so sometimes it's just about finding yourself the little push to just put yourself in a situation where you can have that environment. You know what I mean? So, you could also try that. But I have a question though, because um, as Chef brought oh. up the funeral aspect, uh, I have this week recently had a friend who died. And you know, well, the restrictions with funeral and stuff is 10 people max and stuff like that. So, how do you think you could reach out to somebody in that aspect? Because you may not be able to go to the funeral physically and that kind of thing. Now. That's an excellent question, I believe. Yo, honestly, that's a challenging one because everyone is different. You know what I mean? There are some people when they experience grief, they don't really want to talk to anybody about it. They want to sit back and just kind of process that on their own. Then there are some people who really want to just have somebody present as much as possible. Yeah, I show everybody in this room right now, we represent all kinds of spectrums in that regard. I, was, I, I really don't want to talk to anybody. I want to take. Yeah, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> and process it and go through it and feel all the feelings. And then after, we could probably revisited so that that, well, that's and so the, yeah and so the number one thing that's recommended is to simply one let people know that i am here if you ever need me mm -hmm. right. if you ever need me i'm here 24 7. anytime you call i'm going to answer anytime you message me i'm going to respond and all as a friend what you have to do is just make sure that you're monitoring your phone you're monitoring our connection because when that call comes through you want to be there because of the, it's different things with men. The ego, they feel like it might be a burden. You know, the person might break down. They don't want to cry in front of you as a brethren. and say, hey boy, I cry in front of a brethren. You must think I <laughs> so, You know, all those things going through his head. So the one thing is just to say, look, bro, anytime you need me to be there, I am here. I have your back and you're just checking every day. Just send a message of positivity. Leave yeah. that there. And that's how we could stick around to help our brethren in the process. I like that. I like that. Well said. Well said, Richard. Um, one thing came to mind. Oh, I seen internet connection on Steve here. <clears throat> you all hear me? Yeah, man. Yeah. Right. In the last episode, you mentioned number one and two, anxiety and stress. I want to talk about stress for a little bit, Bertrand, because, oh gosh, they say stress is a killer. And as men, we have wife stress, girlfriend stress, work stress, money worries stress, health stress. Um, so many scenarios we could look at. Um, being the sole provider in some instances, um, we see some men lashing out physically now, as well as verbally, in terms of domestic abuse situations. So guys, stress. I mean, I deal with some stress. I could talk about that a little bit. But um, let's pass it around. I'm going to pass the ball. I'm going to say, Vaughn. <laughs> well, <laughs> Right now, I deal with some, some work stress. I don't want to go into too much details, but I, I'm trying to, to cope with it as best I could. Um, you know, how? I, how uh, on? Well, I, I'm lashing the bottle. I'm leaning heavy on the bottle like I used to when I was younger. <laughs> you know, but um, what I do, what I found myself doing recently is reading a lot more. Um, uh, and listening to like podcasts and stuff. Um, not so much music, but more podcasts and reading. I read my little fiction, non-fiction kind of thing. And and that kind of does help me deal with the stress from work these days. All okay. right, so in my case, like once again from past one of mental health, my first thing I said was, uh, how, how the, as a man, how do you identify if you are going through it? And my problem is that I might be going through stress and I wouldn't know. I, I just going about my daily routine as this and it's probably stressful, but I wouldn't know. I remember I went to the masseuse and from the time he touched my shoulder, he's like, what's going on with you? Young boy like you are all stressed. So I was like, oh, so that's why my shoulder is hurting and stressed out. You know, so I really don't know now. 
But I will say that probably you will realize, like how Vaughn said, he has work dresses when you have a little more on your plates than you're accustomed to and you're dealing with it. But some people don't don't realize that it's an extra to go in and they're pushing themselves, they're just going through the phases. But to me, I, I just be clueless, Fred. I, I just don't know. <laughs> and you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, you feel weary, you feel tired, you sleep, you get up, you're tired still, and you're still going because you know you have things to do. And you, you, you feel drawn out, but you're doing it. And I, I, I don't see it as stress. I just see it as, you probably I need to rest, but as soon as I get this done now. You know? But I ask a question. What what could I just explain there? Is that is that a case of us being conditioned as men to um you know understand? Well, I, I guess it's the belief that you know you name man and that's part of it. We're not identifying. We're not identifying that is stress that we're already under. All we're thinking is you know this is part of life. This is how daddy grew up. This is how grandpa was. You know, and if if I if I if we identify it as stress, then probably you know we complaining or it's an issue. Is it is it that a, is that a conditioning thing with us as men? Bro, I so I'm so happy you asked that question, Kian, because it's a, it's a mix of all those things. It's the socialization of how we grew up, what we've seen men do, how we've been taught to be. But you know, I was reading about it, and it's a mixture of things like oxytocin and um, cortisol and stuff. And there are actually studies that show that men and women have different responses to stress because. In men, um, oxytocin is released in small amounts and that leaves them kind of, we, we have less of that than women. And as a result, men tend to respond to stress differently. And so mm. women kind of have a, a way because they, they do a lot, they balance things with the family and all of that. But men have a different way of dealing with it. And so it is a biological component, which is there in the research, but then there's also the socialization component. So on a serious note, it's, it's for real. The way that men deal with stress, men would, we know it. I mean, the research says it, but we have seen it before. How men and women would do. Men would look for escapism. They would want to go play a game. Video games is a big thing. We see the teenagers, then it graduates to going out and drinking. You know what I mean? It's always about escaping into something new. And then women now, they would seek to go and communicate and connect with their girlfriend, talk on the phone for hours. Yeah, you won't believe what happened, you know, you do me away. <laughs> you know, and all of that happens. And you literally see it playing out there. And so there's a natural push toward that. If you look at cultures around the world, how men are dealing with stress is similar. And women is similar, but there's a mix of the socialization. So, Kion, that's a really, really good question, honestly. Really good question. Because we're trying to understand Personally, I really did not know I was stressed out until the masseuse touched my shoulder. I know my shoulder hurting, whatever. But he was like, why do you have so much stress going on with you? And I was like, huh? <laughs> you know? And sometimes you don't even know. We don't even know that we stress. I mean, there are sometimes you go through life and then, you know, you touch, you, you, you see something in your neck and you're not realizing that's a trigger. It could be a headache, blood pressure. So many of us as men are stressed out with high blood pressure and we don't even know. And then yeah, the doctor right. has to say, wait, what's going on in your life? He asked the question. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he started explaining to him, and then he realized in a therapy session, like, don't boy, me anymore going on, boy, things real hard in here. <laughs> you know, and it's for real. High blood pressure is linked to stress. And, yeah. it, and high blood pressure is one of the biggest killers for men, you know, like cardiovascular diseases in the Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago, high up on the rating for that too. So it's very, very, very common for us to hold things inside, not realizing we're damaging ourselves and we don't have the outlet for it. So right. all, your, all your brothers, you all it's, onto the thing, man. You all know the thing. You know it's the thing. Fun, funny enough that you say that, Richard. I remember it at this time where I um, wake up a morning and I'm feeling this pain, this pulsating pain in the back of my neck. And you know, we, we have a thing in China that, that we like to say, everything is gas. Yes. I get a pain here, they say it's gas. I say, boy, I have some gas in the back of my neck, but I'll drink some ginger tea and that will be all right. That was some gas, brother. That was your ways. That is your ways you wake up with. <laughs> what? <laughs> I drink the tea. If you see what I said, I drink the tea. And about 12 o'clock in the day, I still feeling this pain. I say, but wait, now that gas still here, boy. You know when I went and checked my pressure because my blood pressure was high? And it's a funny thing. As men, we need to stop blaming gas. For, 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 for pains that we may be feeling. <laughs> Where <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that as well because that blood pressure thing, that was a shocker for me because I was always at 120 80, 120 over 80 all the time. But when my wife was having the first daughter, um, 
it turned out where she had to do almost an emergency C-section. Not emergency, about a day or two advance notice. And um, when she on bed rest, uh, that's important that I mentioned that from about the third month. So it was myself, you know, taking her, taking her time to go to the washroom when you're driving on the road, you know, lobby roads. <laughs> but you had to take your time, otherwise she can't take it. The car's behind you blowing. And I went, went on like that for a while, and then coming down now to delivery time, it turned out to be C-section. I have to get blood donated now. So if you see a boy straight up to Mount Hope earlier morning, I wake up early, leave library, because apparently they say Mount Hope, let's take about, well, at that time, about 20 people for the day or some kind of thing like that. So I had to be there early. Right? Went up there feeling good, feeling fine, but I know I was going through it. Work home, see my wifey, work home, see my wifey. Boy, and you know, of course, they take your blood pressure before they. I think they did the, the, the chopping of the blood, okay, the blood went down, great. Next room, blood pressure. The man who watched me, he watched the news. He must have used a walking stroke. I said, Well, where's that one? But I tell you, 120 over 80 all my life, eh? My blood pressure was so high, and I didn't even know. So, as Bouchan rightly said, you're stressed out and you, you know, it manifests itself in different ways and blood pressure is definitely one of them. My pressure has never so high since, but that stressful situation, straight up the room. Crazy. And I wanna, I just wanna add to that because you just reminded me of something I forgot about, about and I guess that experience was to share here now. Uh, when I was studying in the US, we did this prostate cancer response model. Uh, we developed like this therapeutic model. So we went to this research conference and we were presenting to people on it, right? And the amount of people that came up to us after and said, you know, women, you know, that's what my father was going through and I had no idea. Stress and prostate cancer. What's very interesting though is that when men have prostate cancer, they don't say anything about it because, you know, they don't want to go for the checkup and they don't know what's happening. But it's number one for black men, Caribbean men. But the interesting thing about it is that men will be going through the pain, right? Of the, the prostate, pain and everything. And they're not seeing anything. And then they agitated at home and then the family and they're looking on and the wife and the children want to know what's going on, but the men not saying anything. And they go through from stage one, they go through all these stages, bro. And under stress and pain and still not seeing anything. And that even shows how the stress levels could go now. It's, it's how we've been socialized to hold pain and our health is going downward. And we're not even able to talk about something so serious, you know, and the stress levels just keep going higher and higher. So you reminded me of that, how as men, and, and it, it affects the family unit as well, not just for us, it's for everybody. As men, we we really need to do better where that is concerned. So, Leon, spinning off of that, that leads me to the next topic for us to discuss. Probably the reason why men don't like to go and check up on their health and go by your doctor is that they're afraid that they hear that they have some ailments or disease or whatever, and then they'll have to deal with it and spiral into depression. So, hmm. Hmm. I yeah, mean, for real. that's a serious thing. So, for fellas, real. why don't we like to go by the doctor? Fear. Fear, exactly. And that's my point. Everybody yeah. could relate to that. You don't <laughs> want to go by your doctor because you're afraid you check and you sit way by the, and you know you're worried. You, you don't know what to do next. Sometimes you, you, sometime you before you're even afraid of the results, you're afraid of the testing. Probably yeah. the method of the testing. Especially so, the prostate. Especially <laughs> the prostate. Oh yeah. <laughs> so for when you when you start a Google symptoms and you and oh. you get diet. <laughs> Watch now. That will make anybody not want to go by the doctor, you know. But, <laughs> but not to discredit your Google search. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, but wow. we digress. We digress. Okay, so say we went by the doctor, we got sadly news that we have a disease or ailment that mm. probably terminal or, or, or treatable. And you know, you come back home, you don't know how to tell your spouse, you don't know how to tell your girlfriend, you don't want to tell your brethren to know because you don't want to have a pity party. So you internalize it and then you sit by yourself now and and you're, and you're trying to, to, to deal with it. Do you all think that is healthy? No, it's not. Um, and, and this is where I would give one of my one of my life stories. Um, well, for those of you that don't know, I'm a kidney patient. Um, when I was diagnosed with kidney failure, one of the things, luckily for me, that they um they had in place was counseling. Um, 
So the fact that I was able to reach out and talk to somebody about it helped. Um, but I still found myself in in what I what I considered a dark place. You know, I was in a I went through a dark zone of of not wanting to be around anybody. I was angry, you know, um, emotional because this at, at twenty five or however old I was when I was diagnosed with kidney failure, you know, no children, no family, you know, just about to to step up in in, in work career all of that stuff, and to find out that you know you have to go and do dialysis now. Um, that was hard and I did slip into depression but the thing is that I didn't realize it was depression because all the time before that I had no reason to go through those emotions um, I had no reason to, to, to feel like I want to be by myself and you know people call you and they're talking to you and they, it's, so, so like how Kerbal was talking about dealing with debt and not wanting all the talk and stuff like that that was me and my family is very close knit. So, you know, when people found out everybody want to call and talk to Keon and pray with him and give him words of advice. And like my mom couldn't understand why I was not receptive of that. And it was just that I was dealing with the emotions and I just needed that space. Later on to realize that I was actually depressed and I was depressed for a long while. I lost a lot of weight. I was not eating. It, I was literally on my deathbed at a point in time and part of what contributed to that was the fact that I was depressed. How I got out of that though was um dealing talking talking to the to the um to the counselor and then um six months into being diagnosed I had a transplant. So, you know, things changed and started to look up in terms of life and you know how, how my life was going to turn out as far as I was concerned. So, you know, that helped me get out of, of, of that zone. Um, leading, meaning to say that, you know, when you're in a depressed situation, when you get out of it by way of making a positive change, it helps change your whole view on life and all of that. You know? So that's my thing on depression. Another, another thing um, I want to say, uh, as Kubel mentioned, you know, people tend to not want a pity party kind of thing. Yeah. Also, also, um, a lot of people look at being ostracized, um, depending on what you're sick with. You know, it are people who have HIV and stuff like that. People, people kind of shy away from them, shun them. That kind of thing could send somebody into serious depression. And you, you find you don't want to tell anybody. You don't want to, to even talk to anybody close to you, anybody family. You want to keep it to yourself. You know, and that could be dangerous. Uh, how you deal with that? Even if you're looking at it, let's say, for instance, dealing with COVID now as we have it, one of the things, for instance, I have realized that my, it's not even depression, but I have had a degree of anxiety over COVID because for me, I am the primary, primary, Breadwinner. Breadwinner or income earner in my household. So in my head, I am literally paranoid as to what I do and how I do it when I leave the house and when I come back because I don't want that I get it or my wife gets it or my son gets it. Because if I get it, that means that I am out of work or out of commission for two weeks or more. Yeah. Longer. Mm. Or longer because to me, if I get it, that's it. How does the rest of my family transition or how does the rest of my family cope? Or even for if my son gets it, how do I cope? Because I might not be able to see him if, depending on the severity of his illness or how he contracts it, I may not be able to see him for two weeks. So it puts me in a position where I'm thinking of what could happen, or even the unknown, or even the unthinkable. And that yeah, puts I you kind of not only anxiety, but sometimes even in a depression, because you're not sure as to what comes next. So you're literally boxed in that sometimes, and sometimes you don't even find a way to offer or an outlet by which you can actually speak about it. Look how seamlessly, look how seamlessly to tie in because, because Bertrand told us number one and two, depression and anxiety, right? So we're dealing with depression and look, automatically, seamlessly, we went straight into anxiety. 
um, the thing about anxiety I've come to learn is because it has happened with me. Um, for some strange reason, you'll find you're just aware, anxious. Um, your heart would race a little bit. You catch yourself breathing a little faster. I mean, nothing necessarily on, on my mind, eh? But, and well, Bujan, maybe you could um, give me some expert clarity on that because I, I read somewhere, and again, not to discount the Google, but um, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be thinking about something to experience anxiety. Apparently, it could just come in waves. So I don't know if you can But Kevin, the anxiety to me seems fairly new, you know? To me, growing up, you never heard about anxiety and stuff like that. It's like this new thing that come out. So, Bertrand, mm-hmm. please, solutions. How do we deal with this depression and anxiety? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that. And I wanted to say this because I think quite often when people talk about mental health, they talk about it as something happens and then it causes a reaction. So it's cause and effect. And that happens for a percentage of the time. But to be honest with you, um, depression and anxiety aren't always cause and effect. Sometimes it's imbalances in the hormones in the brain. Sometimes it's biological stuff that's happening. And, um, and that's something for us to really consider, that sometimes it might just be a chemical imbalance that's happening in the body, in the mind, and it leads to that point. And of course, it, it, it leads to some things that we're not very comfortable talking about, such as we might need to look at medication. Medication is something that I would never strongly say, you know, go toward that. But there are some situations where people would need to consider that and they've been able to successfully start it, stop it, and move off of it. It's not the first go-to. The preference is for you to find natural ways to cope with it, to have a, a strong support circle. The preference is then to go into some talk therapy and work on that. But there are some scenarios, and we see it. We see it around Trinidad and Tobago. We see how people are responding, you know, and we see the extremes of when mental health is there, you know. So I wanted to put that out there as one of the things. But in terms of the solutions um, that you wanted to bring up, the first thing I would say, honestly, is is a practice that we have to start to do as men. And we don't talk about it enough. But that practice is being able to harness the mind. I, for me as a therapist, I really spend a lot of time just really focusing on mental fitness. Just as we want to be fit physically and we want to play games and we want to play sports and be on top of things, we need to, to really start to normalize in Trinidad and Tobago as men talking about mental fitness. And to achieve mental fitness is the same as if we have to go to a gym, it's like a mind gym. You have to start to practice things to strengthen the way the brain can respond. Because what is inevitable is that we are indeed going to face a lot of traumas. We're going to face a lot of loss. We're going to face a lot of grief, as our brethren mentioned. And so what's very important is to look at, firstly, practicing discipline in the mind and teaching our boys to do that as well. So when negative thoughts start to come into our minds, we have to start to cut them. Cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, is the number one most researched, most evidence-based best practice where you have a thought that enters your mind that's negative, you cut it before it becomes a feeling and an emotion that goes on and it leads to that behavior. And so it's so important to practice that in our normal life about when we have a negative emotion, when the boss says something that upsets us or when the wife says something that upsets us, cutting that thought before it becomes a feeling. And that has been proven to help with with that, of course, physical um, in terms of depression and anxiety. And I, I really wanted to put that out there because there are little things that we can do, that we can practice on our own before it leads to that point where our brain has a natural pattern now of just doing that. So it's important to speak out about it. It's important to have those kinds of conversations. And I think in part one, we spoke about different things. You know, we speak about, you know, your exercise is good. You know, of course, talking to people is good. It's good to, of course, you know, reduce things like caffeine. Caffeine contributes to anxiety because you're already on edge. And some people don't have, so they drink coffee every day. And I've seen it and we've seen it. They drink coffee every day and that kind of, that messes up the chemicals in your brain. That's a science there. And so people don't know why they're on edge and they're agitated, but that's what's happening. The sweating on the palms, the increased um, heart rate, the trembling, the sweating, the nervousness, you know, the, all of that is anxiety. But sometimes it's our diet. Sometimes it's our lack of exercise, the natural endorphins that are released, you know? And I really wanted something we, we spoke about last week and I wanted to share. It's for anyone who's listening to this and you feel like if you are having this effect of anxiety and depression or this just triggered a thought, you know, it's not like someone was saying that depression is happening and you're not even realizing you're depressed. There are some places you could reach out to. One, I would say National Family Services under the ministry of, of course, um, that's one of the, it, we had changes in the ministries, of course, but NFS is still under social development. You can make a call, they could Google it. Lifeline, the suicide hotline. People think that you call Lifeline only if you want to kill yourself or you want to harm yourself, but you could call Lifeline and they could give you guidance on where to go. And that's 623 
of course, there's Childline for young people who are listening. Childline is amazing because they will listen to any young person under 18. They'll even read your bedtime story. If you're at home and you can't sleep, they will just talk to you through any challenge. And even adults, if you're having a challenge and you want to call in to find what could I do with my child or young person, you could call Childline. Then we have a, a, a page and a, a gentleman that I really respect is the founder of the Fatherhood Resource Center. And if you just go and search on Facebook, Fatherhood Resource Center is Kevin Liverpool. He has resources there and I think he has a thrust to help men through any challenges in fatherhood. And finally, Families in Action, 628-2333. Families in Action is just really dedicated to providing support to men, to people, if you're single or not. And so those are resources that I think we could just reach out to. Just call some of those numbers. And those are free resources that we could tap into. We have therapists and you have psychology, you have mental. The Ministry of Health has been putting a lot of stuff. Follow those pages on social media. We have a lot of resources out there for health, you know? So those are some of the things that I would say, other than the things we talk about in terms of ways to cope. Sometimes there comes a point where you have to reach out with mental health when it comes to anxiety, because sometimes anxiety can lead you to be physically violent towards somebody. And depression could make you want to take your life. And we have to be serious about advocating for people reaching out and just normalizing, talking about it. Yeah, I agree. Right. I would like some clarification on you mentioned with the CBT. When a negative thought comes into your mind, you cut it. Now, that may be easier said than done. I don't know if you could probably give us just an example of two of how, when those negative thoughts enter your brain, how you could cut it. All right, well, I'll work with you, Kevin, Chef Williams, as you're on the <laughs> table here. So tell me, we'll have a little mock session here. So, Kevin, what's a negative thought that you had in the last week? Mm. Car insurance coming up. I ain't seeing any money. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, that's a real thing, right. you know? But that causes you a lot of stress, right? Telling yeah. you. And so that in itself could affect the way you function at work because you're worrying about things. So the worrying of something that hasn't happened as yet isn't healthy because it could affect the other parts of your life. You know, you might be short-tempered with the ones you like. You might find yourself real, like preoccupied with it and you can't focus on your main tasks. So the first thing is when that thought comes, like, what's the thought that you have that accompanies that, Kevin? Say again, what's it? What is the thought that you have that accompanies when you think about car insurance? What's the thought that, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? What could happen? What do you think? Um, let me see. Well, of course, the car can't be on the road, uh, which means I can't use that car to go and do jobs. And that's the, the transport car because I'm working for myself these days, you know, I need to carry a lot of load, tools, ladders, etc. So right. I think so, I wouldn't be able perfect. to work, therefore not make money. Right. So the thing is, as that starts to happen, you have options. You can either let those thoughts run on. So some people let those thoughts run on, like I wouldn't be able to work, I wouldn't have money. Hey boy, this is going to be a real mess. I'm not going to make it. Nah, boy, like, ah, what am I going to do? And then they might go COVID, to a drink. COVID here, we're going into lockdown or yeah, something. Yeah, COVID, just been, right. Yeah. So, and that's called, like, it's a downward spiral of thinking now. Yeah. And so what you want to do is, when that starts to happen, you have two options. You could cut that thought, and you could kind of create a new pathway of thinking in terms of solutions. So you start to think about, okay, well, if this happened, what could I do? Well, let me try to talk to, you know, I have some money saved up there, and I think that'll be enough to kind of make through for the period of time. Or... I might want to think, you know, I have a side hustle, I have this gift, you know, because Kevin, you look like a singer now, and you could go on, you know, you look oh, like you used know. to be a Mastana Bahan singer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, you, so then you start to think, well, maybe this is a time for me to just kind of ricochet and be like, all right, I need to tap into this special gift that I have now and just kind of do some side hustling in the meanwhile to kind of prevent things. And that is like a solution focused thinking, which is another form in therapy. Instead of going down with the negative, you could either go towards solutions or you could cut that thought and think about something else positive. So then that's a scenario that you start, you start to engage, that's the mental fitness. You start to engage your mind in productive thought or you start to cut very catastrophic negative thoughts. Another um, technique that people use is you do the downward spiraling questioning. It's not downward spiraling, but you do the downward arrow questioning. So you start to ask yourself, okay, well, then what? So, okay, if I miss this, what would happen? Would I die? No. Is it likely that my family would really starve? No. They have, you have an aunt, you have, you have your mom, you have family members that will come in and help. So sometimes we worry about things that are going so bad, you know? But in reality, there are solutions and things may not be that bad. But so then what you do is by cutting it there, it doesn't go down. Are, the answers to those questions are yes. Mm -hmm. how, how do you treat with that? Because in the instance you're seeing, um, if, 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 if you're going to die, um, mm -hmm. obviously we will say no, but in the situation right. with, with the chef, if mm -hmm. you have family members that you can lean on for support, if the answer to that is no, how you treat with that? You continue to find yeah, solutions. Optimist. 
You yeah, have to be an so, optimist. Or this will provide dog. What will provide? This is where it comes in, though. But this is where it comes in in terms of you, you, you go on this relentless search. Mental fitness is like if you want to build muscles in the gym, you're going the mile to get there. With mental fitness, you, you embark on a search to say, you know what, I have to come up with a solution. So the, and so it means I was, so it, I was probably talking to somebody else. So it's like not a just a search, but it's a search for a positive outcome. A search for a positive outcome. Because yes, it's the I negative know. thinking that kind of cripples us. So you I start the search and, and just going on the solution-oriented mindset. And, and that's discipline. A lot of us focus on the negatives naturally. It's just the way that we've been socialized. But then you start so to look at solutions. Well. So mm-hmm. in other words, Bertrand, train yourself to be an eternal optimist. The, the, well, the thing is, though, I, I am an eternal optimist, I'll be honest. But I've met a lot of people who aren't like that. Some people prefer to turn themselves as realists. They want to deal with the reality of things. Yeah. And so for me, I'm a, I am an optimist, naturally, but I understand that some people are realists and they want to face what the problem is. But in facing the problem as a realist, you could look for solutions, you know? And so the solutions right. may not be within you, but the solutions could be outside. It may be talking to somebody. It may be getting help. It may be going for the grant. It might be applying. All of these numbers that I called, those are some things that we can do as well in the journey. I love that. I love that. Thanks. Anytime, bro. <laughs> Which we, I mean, it, it seems like we could talk all night, but um, all good things must come to an end, right? Um, this session was certainly productive and instructive. I'm sure not only for myself, but all the guys here. So once again, Bertrand, we have to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with the Logians Gens team. Um, for a second time around, we really appreciate it. Thanks as always for the advice. And we had to do a part two due to the overwhelming response we got from the part one. So what you said really hit the spot and um, we thank you for coming on again. And it's an honor. It's an honor, Bruce. <laughs> always an honor to be here, putting out the positive message and stimulating the thoughts, you know. So congrats to those gents for this man. Nice. And here and you say I turn optimist. I know it had something about you, you know. You know these guys always say the same about me. Always on some positive spin, but you know, yeah. it's a good thing. It's a yeah. good thing. Yeah, boy. Exactly. It's the happy ones. It's the happy ones you have to watch out for, bro. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Anyway, guys, thanks for sharing. As always, Lotion, thanks for opening up and sharing some of your experiences. And to all the viewers, we look forward to your comments. Um, feel free to comment down below. Like, follow, and share. Lotion's TT and all your social media, Lotion's.com, the website. And see you all as we come to near the end of season two. We will continue to bring the great content. So see you all in the next episode.